I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. It's the last Echoes podcast of 2021, and it's a good one. I'm going to take you to the Electronic Music Education and Preservation Project, more concisely reduced to EMEAP, and more accurately known as Electronic Bliss. It's a mammoth museum of electronic instruments going back to the early 20th century, including actual devices played by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Yes, Robert Moog, Jack Bruce, and Pete Townsend. And I get to play Keith Emerson's Moog. Before we plug in, though, Christmas is around the corner. And if you're looking for that last-minute gift, we've got them for you in the store at echoes.org. There is still time to get the Echoes 30th Anniversary t-shirt, which is a limited edition run. You could also give the gift of the Echoes CD of the Month Club. We pick our favorite albums every month and send them to club members. Recent picks include the Winter Tales collection, which you'll be hearing a lot this week on Echoes, Marconi Union Signals, and Kevin Keller's Shimmer. Best of all, you can give them a subscription to Echoes Online where they can hear all 10 hours of the Echoes programming we produce each week plus an extended archive and online-only streams. So head over to the store at echoes.org and bring some Christmas music ecstasy to the music lovers in your life, or maybe even just yourself. That's at echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. And now, let's flip the switch at EMIAP, the Electronic Music Education and Preservation Project. Museums are generally places where artifacts from earlier times reside, artifacts of antiquity that represent the past. But in Harleysville, PA, there's a different kind of museum. It houses the instruments of the future, only some of them date back to the early 20th century. That place is the home of the Electronic Music Education and Preservation Project, or MEAP. At a sprawling, nondescript building that used to be a food produce warehouse, there are five semi-trailer trucks pulled up to the side. Remember them later on. There's no evidence that this building houses treasures of the future from the past, but it's a home for the Electronic Music Education and Preservation Project. Drew Raison greets me at the door. With a long grain hair and beard, he looks like he could be a current member of the Eagles Rock Band. I'm the executive director of EMIAP in Harleysville, Pennsylvania, and that's why you're here. He ushers us into a room that's part electronic workshop and part display for some very vintage synthesizers, the kind you'd almost never see on stage, but in studios and music labs. So we're surrounded by three gargantuan modular synthesizers. Uh, the one my, my hand is currently on is called an ARP 2500, which is celebrating its 50th birthday this year. It's a large machine, a good maybe seven or eight feet long. Not a lot of cables coming out of it, but lots and lots of faders and sliders that allow for patching. 
You won't hear many techno, EDM, or synth-pop musicians wrestling this beast, but it is on some pretty well-known records. Pete Townsend from The Who had and has an ARP 2500 and used it extensively. Uh, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin was a 2500 user. Joe Walsh from the James Gang was a 2500 user. They were also used in movie soundtracks, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and in fact, the 2500 appears in the movie itself. The biggest synth has its own room. We're standing in front of a 10-foot-long synthesizer that is called an EMS Synthi 100. Very, very few of these were made. Very, very few of them exist. This is a dead mint version of it. The EMS Synthi 100 was so expensive that it would only appear at the BBC, uh, in major music labs, universities, and the like. It's hard to believe that the capability of these once multi-thousand dollar machines can now be replicated on a laptop or even your phone. Yes, you can do all this in the computer now, but our focus here is trying to find and preserve these old actual physical gems and keep them working so people can hear them for generations. Raison demonstrates many of these instruments. Let me play some sounds for you. But unlike most computer synth software, old hardware synthesizers have a habit of sputtering. Let me play a little bit of this and you can see what an ARP Quadra sounds like. That's not what an ARP Quadra sounds like. These machines are quirky and old, just like me. But most of the devices on display at EMIAP do work, and that's what they spend a lot of time doing, making them functional. This room alone would be a treasure trove, but it's only a small corner in the convoluted, maze-like expanse of EMIAP. The complex here at EMIAP is roughly 30,000 square feet of odd buildings that are all matched up to each other. Walking through EMIAP is not like walking through a library. It's a labyrinth of passageways and buildings. We have a dungeon downstairs. We have five or six different loading docks. It's very, very easy to get lost in MEAP, and uh, there's probably still people walking around from the tour last week uh, that we haven't found. MEAP also researches the provenance of their instruments and famous names abound. This Oberheim four voice is sitting on top of a very old Fender Rhodes electric piano that used to belong to Aldi Miola and Chick Corea. We're standing next to Tommy Bolin's guitar rig with a high watt head and some sound city cabinets. We have a head here that was used by John Entwistle. Sitting next to it is a vintage Oberheim OBXA that was owned by the band Queen. We also have one that came in from Billy Corgan to Smashing Pumpkins in a beautiful creamsicle orange color. I've never seen another one. It's one of my favorite color instruments. As we, uh, as we move to our left, 
We're standing in front of Chris Squire's Rickenbacker 4000 base. In fact, we have a... Uh, and the app is the brainchild of founder of Vince Pupillo Sr. The building is his former produce warehouse, and he is still in that business, but not here. While Drew Rezon looks and talks like a rock star, Pupillo looks like a businessman with short-cropped, receding gray hair and a quiet demeanor. It's as if he doesn't want to be noticed amidst the technological splendor he's gathered. This is not a moneymaker. This is a passion. Okay. Model trains are a hobby. <laughs> this, this is not a hobby. I have to look at it that way, as a hobby. Uh -huh. <laughs> if not, I'd be divorced. But why that hobby? What I originally went for was the instruments that I had back in the 70s. Honer Clavinet D6. I had a uh, Fender Rhodes 88 stage piano. And I had a Yamaha YC20 that I bought brand new from Zaps Music in Norristown in 1970. So I went out and found the Yamaha, I went out and found the Rhodes and the Clavinet, and then I had a mini Moog, so I had to find my mini Moog that I had. Like a lot of quote-unquote hobbies, one mini Moog led to another. He bought out a collection of electronic instruments from a Canadian group called the Oddities Foundation, formed a non-profit corporation, and MEAP was born. Now there are hundreds of electronic instruments, a wall of guitars, drum machines, and 20-foot-high rooms jammed from floor to ceiling with amplifiers and PA systems from Pink Floyd, Yes, Deep Purple, and others. You can tell from some of the names being bandied about that Drew Rezon and Vince Papillo Sr. are both fans of the classic rock and progressive rock eras. Well, it's true, because we are big, big, big fans. And, and as you walk through MEAP, you will see a lot of the progressive performers' gear present, because we are fans. They have gear from John Lord of Deep Purple and several instruments from Yes keyboard player Rick Wakeman. They even have the throne from his stage set of The Myths and Legends of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table Tour. There's a replication of the keyboard setup from Ray Manzarek of The Doors and Rick Wright of Pink Floyd. But their biggest idols are the holy trinity of progressive rock, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, right? Yeah. It wasn't mainstream. But once I got hooked on that, it was like, you know, that was the end of it. Never heard a Moog played like that before. I mean, the Beatles played around with a Moog in some of their songs, but it didn't sound like Keith did. And that was something else. Hence, the main attraction of EMIAP is the Emerson, Lake, and Palmer exhibit. Well, so we're standing in front of an elaborate exhibit of quite a few keyboard instruments and ancillary gear owned and used by Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Yes, we are standing in front of the world's most famous synthesizer, also known as the world's most dangerous synthesizer and certainly known as the most iconic synthesizer in the world, and we're very proud to have it here. Emerson's giant Moog modular system towers over me. Drew Rezon gives a little demonstration. I'll never play Keith Emerson stuff on this thing. I'm scared to. I'll give you a nice tour. <laughs> 
With a giant PA system and subwoofer, the sound is immense. And as an Emerson, Lake & Palmer fan who still has the original vinyl of the 1970 debut album, I had to place my non-musical hands on the instrument. I, I mean, I don't play, but just... Now, now you do. Well, I never claimed to be a musician. For the record, this synth is not the famous one played on the ELP hit single, Lucky Man. For you synth nerds, that was a Moog M55N, was the first time Emerson had ever played a synthesizer. But this beast before me is all over tracks like this. They have all of Keith Emerson's rig from acoustic piano to the organ he used to stab with knives. It includes the knives. The thing about MEAP is, this isn't even close to being the most exotic instrument they have. They've got a 1929 RCA theremin, the Ondioline, and the Motorola Scalatron. That's a microtonal instrument with a keyboard that looks like ordered rows of colored tiddlywink discs. There's a device made with a typewriter for a keyboard. I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but the gentleman that designed it uh, determined that the women in the typing pool should be able to make music as well. So he created this musical instrument called an It's an Organ, but instead of a black and white keyboard, it has a blue QWERTY keyboard, like a typewriter computer keyboard, and the women from the typing pool would have to type in certain letter combinations to generate a given note. So we can assume it ain't very musical. Just ask about any electronic instrument and it's probably at EMIAP. Do you have an Owens Martineau here? We're standing in front of an Owens Martineau right now, conveniently. And then there is the odd little kludgy device with no name. We have a tiny, tiny little instrument that has no black keys. It's just a dozen or so white keys and it's got a bunch of knobs on it. It's got one massive vacuum tube in the back of it. And Dr. Robert Moog um, has indicated that he believes this to be the earliest voltage controlled musical instrument that he's ever seen. We haven't been able to actually date the object, but by looking at the electronic components inside, it's somewhere around 1918 to 1924 perhaps. And we'll call that early for electronic music. What's it called? Uh, whatever you want to call it, man. There's one of them and we have, I don't know, let's call it Dave. Whatever they are, they are all made to expand the possibilities of music and sound. And the Electronic Music Education and Preservation Project has them, researches them, fixes them, and allows others to use them. That includes the godhead of synthesizers. The, the bottom unit here was Bob Moog's actual personal system, which he ended up gifting to David Borden from the band Mother Mallard. A trip through EMIAP is exhausting, but there's more. Remember those five semi-trailers I mentioned earlier? The five semi-trailers you see outside are in fact loaded with backup instruments, parts instruments, combo organs, 
some peculiar oddities and, and beyond, but they are all fully loaded. Even though we're 30,000 square feet, we are packed to the gills. The one trailer has over 140 combo organs in it, all in good shape, not parts organs. I mean, Farfises, RMIs, I mean, it has Yamahas, <laughs> it has Panthers. I mean, you can go down the list. Those instruments aren't just collectors gluttony. Many of them are used for their parts to refurbish other instruments to working order. Vince Pupillo Sr. says the mission is expansive, but the main raison d'etre is simple. Well, the mission of the nonprofit is education and preservation. That's it in a nutshell. And that's what we're doing. I wonder if there's any irony in preserving the instruments of the future. That's a good question. <laughs> They're probably... you are a music junkie, the Electronic Music Education and Preservation Project is a combination of The Wizard of Oz and 2001 A Space Odyssey. EMIAP is moving into many areas including recording, books, video, and live performances. You can find out more on their website, emiap.org. That's E-M-E-A-P-P dot O-R-G. It was a wild day, and I plan on being there more. Be sure to check them out at emiap.org. That's emiap, E-M-E-A-P-P dot O-R-G. And from that O-R-G, you can tell that they are a nonprofit organization just like Echoes. We depend on grants and listener donations to help keep the soundscape going on the Echoes radio show as well as the interviews in the Echoes podcast. And you can help us out with that. Just go to echoes.org and make a donation to Echoes. Once again, that's echoes.org. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next year, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want.